This is our fifth Sunday through our six-week series on Gospel 101, okay? So we're just trying to unpack what is the, the central hope of Christianity, okay? What, what is Christianity banking on? It's the gospel. What's the gospel? That's what we're answering here. We're in our fifth week, and this week we're going to be looking more into what it is to believe and have faith. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about repentance and faith and, and this cycle of I sin. I'm aware of this sin. I'm drawn to repentance. I then believe the gospel truths again and no longer have to go find it somewhere else, which is sin. But when I do, I'm, oh, the Holy Spirit makes me aware of it and I repent of it. And so the, the Christian life, the mature Christian, is one who repents often. We had a wedding here yesterday. And it's one thing I, I, I addressed the groom in particular saying, in your home, you're to pastor your family well. And part of that is repenting first and repenting often and leading in repentance. Christians, this is, this is supposed to be the mark of our life. It's not trying to look perfect. It's trying to understand that we are perfect, and when we do sin, are perfect before the eyes of God, and when we do sin, we need to be drawn to repentance because we're not that person anymore. We have been changed by Jesus, and we find the hope there in the gospel. So that's what we're trying to do is unpack this hope, this hope of the gospel that changes everything. Okay, so we must believe the gospel. I want you to consider this one question. What one thing should you do to grow more as a Christian? So this is particular to the Christians in the room, not those who are outside of Christ, who are just curious, investigating Jesus' stuff, investigating church. This is just for those who are Christians. In what way should you grow? What one way do you think you should grow more as a Christian? So what should you do? Many might suggest meditation or fasting, doing certain things, and not doing other things as far as maybe going without food, going without internet, going without uh, cell phone, that would be cool, going uh, without email, um, going without certain types of food, television programs. So what I mean by fasting. Perhaps the one thing that I could do, maybe it's reading the Bible more. Maybe it's praying more. Maybe it's giving myself more completely, more fully to a Christian community, to a Christian body, a church. Perhaps it's repenting of sin. Perhaps it's studying theology and knowing what it is that I believe and being accurate with my words theologically. None of these things are bad, but Jesus was asked a similar question in John 6, verses 28 and 29. And his answer might surprise you of how he answered this question. They ask him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be nailing it? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That you believe. In other words, at the foundation of the Christian life, it's not about doing it's about believing. It's, it's what the Bible considers faith, this belief in the one whom God has sent, faith in Christ. Again, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time of fulfillment and the kingdom of God is at hand. His message, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. 
Not that doing is wrong, not that there's no place for doing in the Christian life, but what is the one thing that we are to be doing, doing the work of God, as John 6, 28 and 29, that question came up. He says, this is doing the work of God. This is the work of God, believing in him who he has sent. That answer surprised me as I was studying it in the context of this. You see, for most of us, this doing becomes natural. We'll gladly welcome the next project, the next assignment. Give me a challenge and I'll be all over it. And if we're not careful, our idea of Christian maturity and Christian growth will have more to do with this busy effort of doing that produces little lasting change rather than growing in our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us and believing him. This is mainly because we do too much and we believe too little. So may God help our faith. May God help our belief in him and what he has done for us. You see, our surface sins are symptoms of a deeper problem. And this is where we're going to spend our time this morning, is where we have a, a lack of belief in the gospel is what produces sin. It's when we fail to believe Jesus Christ, the one whom God has sent to be the Savior. We fail to trust him. We fail to have faith in him. We do not believe him. In that moment, and we sin. This is where we're going to be going. You see, the truth is that underneath every external sin is a heart idol. Uh, it's a false God that's been, that's been overshadowed by the one true God in our hearts and our affections. Recently, I've, I've counseled men uh, regarding how to fight sin in their lives as I, I'm trying to fight sin well in my life. So I, I gave him this illustration of inside each of us as believers, there is spirit and there is flesh. It's the war that Paul says rages against the other. It's like, man, what I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. It's that tug of war, that struggle. And if you're a Christian for a minute, you know that struggle. So I, I, I tried painting this picture for them, is that the flesh... Like we're told to produce fruit, right? We're, we're to produce the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on. That's supposed to be budding off the tree of the Spirit, so to speak, to use the tree as an analogy. But there's also another tree in our life representing the flesh. And here's the way I kind of try to unpack how to handle sin, is that there's, there's a tree that produces sin in their lives, and it's easy just to knock the fruit off. It's easy just to say, let's just stop doing these things. Let's just, let's just quit this, and then we're okay. But then what happens? The, the tree begins to bear fruit again. And we keep knocking that off, but it keeps bearing fruit. And, and what I want us to try to get to is the sin beneath the sin. I want us to dig to the root of our flesh and see where it is that we're failing to believe and trust in Jesus. And rather, putting our hope and our confidence in that sin. And that is what's producing the fruit of sin in our lives. To put it in example, let's say that we're digging to the root of the tree of lust in our heart. 
It's easy to knock off the fruit and do away with the internet, to delete the web app from our phone, to, to stop bringing your laptop inside your house, to never be home alone, to subscribe to Covenant Eyes or an internet filter, and so forth. This is knocking the fruit off the tree. And these things are not bad, and many times these are essential. But we can't simply stop there. I believe if we stop there, it's legalism. It's simply a list of things that we try. And we place our hope and our confidence in our own ability to try to stop sin. We try to maintain sin. We try, to, uh, we try just to look the part of a true Christian and hide this stuff and make it almost impossible. So there's no freedom there. We're not able to live because we're so chained. We don't even want the possibility to be able to make a conscious decision on our own. There's no freedom there. Gospel has not been shown to the root of that tree of lust. And so we're just trying to manage that. It's tough to dig to the root of the tree of lust in your life. And it takes time, as with any sin. But I believe that if you dig to the tree, to dig down the tree to the root of, of lust, that you find the idea of control. You find the idol of being in control and having something that you want right now in your own power. You can control this. And we're going to unpack other types of sin like gossip, like respect. Things that could be good, but there's a dark side. Like respect, there's a dark side to respect. We're going to unpack gossip and see what the functional savior is there, what that root idol is. So this is where we're going to be going. So here's the deal. Keeping God primarily, primary in your life and world practically, functionally, day in, day out, is foundational to spiritual health. And in order to see the authentic, lasting transformation in our lives, the Christian growth that we should all want, we must learn to repent not only of the fruit, the easy fruit sins, but the sin beneath the sin to the deep-rooted idolatry and unbelief that drives and fuels other sins. Consider the surface sin of gossip, okay? Using words to tear down and to destroy. Why do we gossip? What are we looking for that we should be finding in God? Yet we sin and we gossip. I have listed here several. Perhaps it's the idol of approval. Again, gossip. Think gossip. Okay, let's say we all are horrible gossipers. All right, for some of us, it's not that big of a stretch to consider this. Okay, I mean, me, I'm using myself as an example. Like, let's consider gossip. Perhaps we gossip because of the idol of approval. We're longing for approval. I want the approval of people that I'm talking to. So I gossip. Perhaps it's the idol of control. I use gossip as a way to manipulate others, to control others. Think through gossip with me, okay? We're, we're, we're being rude to, about someone else. They're not present, most likely. Why are we doing this? Perhaps it's because we're trying to gain reputation. It's the idol of a good reputation. I want to feel important, so I begin to cut someone else down with my words especially when they're not around to defend themselves. Why do we gossip? We can repent for gossip. We can say, God, I'm sorry for gossiping. But what is it that's driving us to gossip? Perhaps it's the idol of success. 
Someone else is succeeding and I'm not, so I'm going to try to tear them down with my words as a way to help me cope with the idea that I'm not the one that's getting this attention, that I'm not the one succeeding. I gossip, but why do I gossip? Perhaps it's the idol of security. Talking about others helps me mask my own insecurities because I can bring theirs out. When I'm feeling bad about something that I've done, I can make you look worse than me compared to what I think is bad, and that helps me cope with the idea that there's sin in my life. We do this so effortlessly. This comes so easy and so natural. This is why we have to have the Holy Spirit in our lives revealing the the silliness of our sin. Perhaps it's the idol of pleasure that causes us to gossip and use our words the way we shouldn't. Someone else is enjoying life. I'm not. My life is horrible. So I begin to attack someone else with my words, trying to rob them of their fun and make, make their idea of fun and pleasure look insignificant. Like, I can't believe that you would be satisfied with that. That's, that's, so, like, that's so immature. When all it is is you're jealous. You don't know how to celebrate with somebody else. There's deep-seated idolatry here in the heart of someone who sins in the way of gossip. Perhaps it's the idol of knowledge. Talking about people is a way of showing that I know more. I'm in the in crowd. I must know more. I can quote so-and-so, or I can do, I must be trusted. I'm smart. People can trust me. There's power there. Perhaps it's the idol of recognition that pushes us to gossip. Maybe it's talking about others to get people to notice you. You've got to be the one talking. You've you've got to lead the conversation. You've you've got to be in control of the dialogue. And this is one that, man, this is is Jeremy Rose. This, This right here drives me to say hey to others particularly strangers, before they have a chance to say hey to me so that I'm in control of the conversation. So it's an idol of recognition, but there's also the idol of control is why I do this. Because I'm scared. It's because in that moment, I'm not believing that I'm, that I'm good enough, that I've got to impress others. So I try to take control of the conversation and steer it in a certain way so as to be in control. Lastly, maybe it's the idol of respect. This person disrespected me, so I'm going to disrespect him with my sly little jabs here and there. Just little, just smart aleck remarks. Not really huge, just this little side jab. Like, what, what did you say? Oh, nothing, it's not. What was that? You're trying to find your value and your worth outside of your identity in Christ. And this is just unpacking gossip. We can do this and we must do this with every single sin. Are you tired of knocking the fruit off? Are you tired of saying you're sorry all the time for the same sin? Attack the root. It's going to continually be bursting with fruit. And you're going to get exhausted trying just to simply stop and have behavior modification which is ultimately self-salvation and self-righteousness, when are you going to stop seeing that no matter how hard you, you work at trying to knock the fruit off the sin tree in your heart, that you've got to dig to the root of that tree to see, oh, that's what that is. 
That is when repentance takes place. True, deep, lasting repentance, which leads to true, deep, lasting transformation. I'm frustrated. I am frustrated with sin in my life. And and from my conversations with you, I got the feeling that many of you are in the same boat. You're so sick of not treasuring Christ more than everything else. And, and we think that when we get a family, and we think that when we have children, and we think that when we can just get that job, and we think that if we can just get that car, it, we think that, we, man, if we can just get married, if, if I can just plant a church, if I can just have a platform, if, if, I could, if I could just be noticed by the right person playing a guitar, then everything will be great. My friends, unless you, unless you dig to the very root of why it is that you sin in those different ways, Nothing is going to bring you that peace. And even the knocking off the fruit and the surface, the repentance of the surface sins will be a way of coping with the reality of your sin. It will be a means of salvation. Self-salvation that produces nothing but more shame and guilt and work. So at the heart of this message today is I want you to be free. Are you tired of fighting the same sin? I mean, especially for those who have roommates that they're close with, not roommates that you'd rather not be roommates with, but roommates, like you're, you're a brotherhood, you're a sisterhood. Or for those that are married, where you just can't escape each other. And it gets rough, it gets ugly, and you keep repenting over the same thing over and over and it's almost becoming embarrassing to where you don't even repent anymore because it's your broken record you go over and over I'm sorry for this 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 and then in a very loving way but unacceptable the spouse or the roommates will say no it's okay you you, you can't keep asking forgiveness for this as a means to make the uncomfortableness okay what we must say is why do you keep repenting over this What is it? What is at the root of this? This is what we need. We need to go to the sin beneath the sin in our lives. All these things, this list, this approval, control, reputation, security, pleasure, knowledge, recognition, respect, all these things are idols. They're false saviors. They're terrible lords promoting false gospels that lie to you, and yet we put trust in these things, but they lie to us. Every single one of these is something that we already have in Jesus Christ because of the gospel, and because the gospel is true. But when we are not living in light of the gospel, we turn so quickly, so easily, to these false idols, these false gods, these idols, to give us what only Jesus Christ can give us. In the gospel, I'm just going to take this list apart. In the gospel, this approval thing, trying to find approval so we gossip, trying to find approval so we lie, trying to find approval so we buy, trying to, trying to find approval so we, we rehearse certain things so that we sound so legit. We, we go buy certain clothing so we can have approval. This approval idol, we see in the gospel that we are perfectly and completely approved by God because of our union with Jesus Christ. This this control idol (laughs) that I struggle with, man, more than anything else in my life is the idol of control. 
This control, I just need to hear the gospel. This is what Jesus meant, believe in the one whom he has sent. Believe in the gospel, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus said this. This is doing the work of God. What I need to stop sinning is ultimately to believe in the, in the area of control is for me to believe that Jesus reigns and rules over all and that God is good and I can rest in his sovereignty because I'm his child, I'm beloved, I've been adopted by him. This is, the tr- this is what it means to believe. I've actually tried to, to hang my life on that statement. And it's when I forget this, or this sin is a little louder, that I fail to believe the gospel, that I drift here. I drift away from that truth. And what I need from you all, and what I need from the Holy Spirit, is to be told, hey, you're not believing the gospel. You're failing to believe the truths found in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. You keep repenting over gossip. You keep repenting over porn. You keep repenting over over this control thing. You're not believing the gospel. Repent all day long. It's not going to change your life if you're not digging to the root of what's going on in your heart. Forget knocking the fruit off for a second and let's start digging. Let's get a shovel and excavate this sin in your life. Let's stop trying to simply medicate or, or smooth over or apply behavior modification or rules to your life to quarantine the sin into a particular area. So if my computer comes in my house and I'm there by myself, oh, I've got to alleviate that. Man, be free from that and see this root attacked, attacked by the gospel and dug out and looked at compared to the gospel and say, you're a liar. You're a liar. This control thing that I've been chasing in this sin never could have happened. And then I see over here in the gospel that God is good and Jesus is in control. So I don't have to be. And he he is perfect. And I'm still struggling with sin. And he lived and and never sinned. And he knows the end from the beginning. I can trust him. Why am I trusting trusting this, this, this idol, this root? Why am I trusting myself? Let's trust him. It's that conversation that that I need for my wife to help me take part in. I need you as the church to help me with. And this is what I want our church to be identified by. As a place when sin is brought up, you're not sent out and away, but it's dealt with lovingly. Let's help you. Believe this. This is where you're struggling. This is where you're not believing the gospel. May this be the case. May your marriages be this way. May your roommates function this way. This is where freedom is. That's where an amen is supposed to be right there, okay? Amen, right? Okay. All right, I've got to help myself a little bit. Here we go. All right, here we go. So we're with reputation. All right, so we're, we're looking at the idol of reputation. What others think is immaterial compared to what God thinks of you. You can do nothing to gain a legitimate spiritual reputation that's worth anything beyond this fallen world. But God has done everything for you through Christ to grant you the ultimate reputation, which is perfect in the eyes of God. That's what we must believe when we're so wrapped up in the idol of finding a good reputation or in security. So much anxiety goes into this idea of security. When we feel insecure, when we feel like things are out of our control, may we know the truth of the gospel, that God is the provider of all things. 
and in control of all things. And no amount of possessions or money can grant the comfort from knowing that Christ is Lord. This is a truth of the gospel that we must communicate with one another when we're looking for the idol and dealing with the idol of security. Or is it pleasure? Consider the gospel in, in regards to pleasure. The pleasure you're seeking and were designed to experience can never be fulfilled by anything in this world. It is only experiencing the affection and love of Jesus Christ, the Savior, where you find true, lasting, fulfilling, satisfying pleasure that your soul longs for. It's only in Jesus Christ. Knowledge. Here's where the gospel speaks into knowledge. It's not about what I know, but who I know and who knows me. You were known before the foundations of the world. Rest in that. Is it recognition? The gospel speaks into recognition, saying the gospel frees me from the search of being recognized and noticed by others. Because I know that I'm recognized by God in Christ, and I'm his perfect child, adopted, and no longer an enemy. There is now peace with God. That's the recognition that my soul longs for. And then lastly, respect. The gospel speaks into respect. You see, the gospel teaches me that I do not deserve any respect because of my sinfulness. Yet, through Christ, my sin has been handled, and I, I'm not judged by my performance or my past. I am now fully respected by God because of my union with Christ. The gospel speaks into these different situations in our life. And we can simply just try to stop, but that'll lead to greater frustration. We can simply knock the fruit off the tree. We can get a bigger bat. We can hire people to knock the fruit off our tree of sin. But until we do the dirty, nasty, filthy work, the frustrating work, the long work of digging to the heart of what we're ultimately looking for, we're going to continually just be exhausting ourselves and our resources trying to knock this fruit sin. Let's dig to the sin beneath the sin and see Jesus in the gospel proclaimed in the face of that root sin. So it's not just about revealing it and saying, oh, there's the root, I'm done, throw it away. No, 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 no. Grab a hold of that root and never forget how easily your heart longs to go there. And keep the gospel truths that attack that root. And what I mean by attack is it says you're a liar. You cannot deliver what I'm looking for. I thought you could at one time, but that was wrong. I was deceived. You can never deliver this way. Jesus delivered this way. My hope is in him. It's not in you. Man, it's, it's having this conversation. This is a mark of a Christian. This is the mark of a mature, growing Christian. It's one that has crazy conversations with roots, okay? This is where we have to get. This is what the Holy Spirit has to work in revealing this sin and giving us the, 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 the boldness and the courage needed to confront it with the gospel and the knowledge of the gospel and how it even relates to that. And I would say this points to a, the need for the Holy Spirit and the need for the Christian community. Because even in compiling this list of how the gospel speaks into control and reputation, Pastor Jacob was here helping me, trying to, trying to fix all, how all this works because I'm so limited. Man, I can't, it's like we need the mirror of the Christian community. I can't see my own face. 
I can't see my own sin so many times. I need you all to be the mirror so that I can be like, oh, yeah. I need the Holy Spirit to be the mirror that says that I'm able to look at me like, oh, right, yeah, that's it. I didn't even, yeah, I didn't see it. More often than not, when we, when we feel ourselves prone to wonder, believing these false gods, we seclude ourselves. And what Proverbs in the Bible, right after Psalms, that book, in there it talks about how the fool pushes away that wisdom and pushes away that counsel because we no longer want to know the sin in our lives. For some strange reason, we've been deceived in thinking that we're okay. And that we don't want anybody speaking into our world. And we'll put up boundaries. We'll put up self-righteousness. We'll put up talking like a Christian. We'll put up listening to Christian music, whatever that is, if it exists. We talk about dressing a certain way or going to a certain college as a way to look the part so no one will ever ask you, about the root idol in your heart. And how's the digging been going in your soul? Because we don't want that. So may God help us if we're there. And I know many of you are there. I know you. I talk with you. You say these things. My prayer for you is that you would see that the gospel is good enough and that Christ is sufficient and even if you're tired, even if you're worn out, and you get, you've gotten to the point where you honestly, you're almost to the point where you, could complete, you couldn't completely care less. Perfect candidate for Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you comfort. That's Jesus. I want to move on a little bit here and, and deal with a couple other small sins. Not, not small, but and I'm not going to unpack them like I did gossip. I'm just going to hit them one after the other. You see, it's often in our giftedness where we're going to be tempted the most. It's often where we're great that we're going to be tempted the most. Are you creative? You're probably going to be leaning towards the idol of approval of others, and that's why you begin to create so much in certain things so that you'll be noticed. You'll be recognized, and you'll be approved by by the masses of people applauding you. Like, I don't think I'll be tempted in the realm of creativity. I mean, you see my wardrobe. I have like three shirts, okay? <laughs> this is a brand new one I'm wearing, okay? I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I've got three shirts in my arsenal now, all right? I'm not that creative guy. I've got two pairs of shoes I wear all the time. My wife hates one pair. The other pair is uncomfortable. That's my life, okay? <laughs> She doesn't like the neon green looking things. Anyway, if you're creative, odds are you'll be tempted there to place your identity there. If, if, you're, uh, if you feel like you're a good speaker, odds are you're going to try to, you, odds are you'll be tempted to find your confidence and hope there. If you're an entrepreneur and you're so great, I mean, you could create a business today that's making a million dollars in nine months. It'd be easy to be tempted there to find your worth or your lack of worth if it fails in starting businesses. If you're a hairstylist, if you're a designer, 
you're probably going to be tempted in these areas as opposed to fishing. Like, who cares how good of a fisherman I am? I'm a designer. I like to design. Like, that's probably going to be where you're tempted, not fishing. You see what I'm saying? Like, it, you, we need to be careful. Man, if you're a great salesman, be careful. When your confidence is placed there and not in what Christ has done, there's a root that's beginning to grow, a root of sin. We've got to ask ourselves these tough questions. Another way to identify your particular heart idol, and many of us have several, but we all have at least one, one significant one, is to ask this question. What do I love? What do I trust? What do I fear? What do I love, trust, or fear? Ask yourself that and think. Be honest. Not, not something that you're going to say to anybody right now. What is that? If you were honest, I mean, this answer probably something we're scared to admit. And so whatever your first answer was, it's probably not it. Dig deeper. Here's examples of, of this. If there's a fear of being single, then being in a relationship will probably be my idol. Because being in a relationship promises to deliver me from the hell of my loneliness and my singleness. And if you take that weight into marriage, whew, whew, that's rough. No spouse deserves that weight. That's not why you get married. You don't get married to fix a porn problem. You don't get married to fix a loneliness problem. If I trust in having enough money and having enough stuff, security will probably be my idol. Because it promises that I'll never be without anything. If I love order and structure, this is, again, me, control will be my idol. Because if I'm in charge, I can make sure things work out well. Control. Do you enjoy being the center of attention, making people laugh, entertaining others? then odds are approval or identity will probably be your idol because it promises that you will be worth something, that you'll have value, and that, oh, you will never be overlooked. So easily we slip here. So my question is, would you please begin to consider what the sin beneath your sin is in your life? This will lead you down a rough path to authentic heart change. And it's worth every single struggle. There is a price for freedom. There's a price of working and digging and asking and, and having people speak into your life. There's a price for that. It's inconvenient. Man, authenticity and openness and honesty, man, that stuff's expensive. You risk your reputation. But again, what does the gospel say about your reputation? It's so easy just to repent of these surface sins, even for a lifetime, and yet there never be anything addressing the deeper heart issues behind those simple fruits hanging on the, the tree of sin in your heart. 
I remember being a part as a church planner, as a church starter. I'm a part of a network called Acts 29. And we, we assess guys. We sit down with three or four other pastors, and we assess this new guy wanting to be a part of our network. And we, we dialogue with them. And we, we talk about their, their marriage. We talk about uh, the gospel. We talk about what the mission is that they're called to do. Okay, This is what we do. Okay, And uh, as a part of this one in particular that I was a part of, there was a lot of brokenness in this, in this particular assessment. And it came to a point about halfway through where this guy was talking about how he had confronted his sin and how, how that he has moved to fight this sin. And one of the other assessors, my coach, uh, Pastor Chuck Gushwin in Arkansas, he says, he mentioned the fellow's name, and he says, we'll call him Bart. He's like, Bart? <laughs> Sorry, it's a funny name. He says, he says, Bart, I hear that you were confronted with your sin. And I hear that you feel like you're not getting the freedom from this sin that you thought you could have. And I see that you've implemented some different things, knocking the, knocking the, the fruit off the tree. You've implemented certain things to help protect you from this sin. And I see that you've tried harder. That's, that's, a, that's part of knocking the the fruit off the tree. He says, but Bart, where is the repentance? I, I see that you're trying hard to knock off, the, this is essentially what he was saying, I see that you're trying hard to knock the fruit off the tree of sin, but where's the shovel? You, you're not addressing the elephant in the room. You haven't really trusted Jesus in this area of lack of belief. This is the problem. You, you're going to exhaust yourself knocking the fruit off the tree. You got to dig. And then tears poured. Because what this fellow realized is that all he'd been doing was simply behavior modification. And there was no true repentance of the sin that produced all these other little sins. And it was beautiful. Man, it was unbelievable to watch. I was crying. It was a moment where you saw this revelation. May God help us in the same way. You see, at the moment that we, that we sin, we break the first commandment. To love the Lord God with all your heart. And an idol, a false savior, a terrible Lord has taken the place of preeminence in our soul. And practically, we're trusting in that idol rather than in God to be our savior. And so what we need in that moment, here's what we need. We need two big, three things. We need three things. We need one for the Holy Spirit to reveal this particular sin, this root sin. We need his help to take us there, to dig with us. And then the second thing is, is we need to repent to repent of that deep heart idol, that idolatry that's taking place in the depths of our soul. Not the fruit, not the easy, but the deep stuff. And then the last thing there is belief. We need to help, we need the Holy Spirit's help and our, the Christian body's help to turn our mind to the specific gospel promises that break the power of that idol. So the Holy Spirit reveals it, whew, not over. We repent of it, 
We see where Christ is more preeminent than that idol, that liar, that false god. And then the Christian community, our families, our roommates, we, we bring them into conversation and they begin to let the gospel promises just pour in, pointing, just jabbing that thing, just crushing that idol, pointing out where it's false and just having a slugfest against the deception of the enemy. And I would say just on this whole bringing in the conversation of the church community that a mark of the Christian of Christian maturity is a heightened draw towards the counsel of the Christian community. Christian maturity is a longing for the Christian community. When you begin to die spiritually, begin to go without prayer and without the Bible and without gathering with the church in small gatherings and large gatherings, you begin to recluse back and, and venture back away from that Christian community and you begin to shrivel spiritually. You need, you need the gospel community. You need a church. You need a family. Part of our, our journey of faith in God is learning how to set our affections of our hearts and minds on Christ. Because we're so prone to place them on an idol. And it's continually rehearsing and delighting in the many privileges that are now ours in Christ. This is how we're free from that awful root idol of sin in our hearts. We must truly worship Jesus and not our idols. We must remind ourselves of what is really true about us because of Jesus, this new identity, these promises. I have a question for you in closing here. How do you see your heart idols failing you? In what ways do you see the things that you place your hope and identity in outside of Christ? It's called idolatry. In what ways do you see those heart idols failing you? Is it unmet hopes and unmet dreams? Have your dreams become nightmares? Is, there, is it unmet expectations? Is it disappointment? Absolutely it is. This is a mark of a false God, of a terrible Lord, and a functional Savior that's not Jesus Christ. Jesus, here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus wants to satisfy your desires and meet your needs more fully and completely than your idol. And he can completely and perfectly deliver every single time. And without exception, your idol will never, ever, not even one time, ultimately fulfill the satisfaction of your soul in what it promises. Never. Never. It's never happened. But within the next five or six minutes, we're going to place our hope and identity in something else. We're going to grab our phone and look at Facebook and Twitter. And we're going to be like, ah, nobody's commented. Nobody's mentioned me. Gosh. Or maybe you're like, no, that's no big deal. What if someone does mention you? What if someone does tag you in something? What if someone gives you praise for something and you're recognized? And that you feel that? Whew. Yeah. 
May God reveal to us that even in those small approval of others, there is something much deeper than healthy approval and a healthy reputation. That it's even in those areas where Satan is just starting his work. That's what he loves to do is take a good thing and make it appear to be an ultimate thing in our lives. May God help us see his deceitful activity. May his Holy Spirit reveal to us the work that's been going on in our hearts that we haven't even been addressing because we're so tired, we're so weary of just knocking the fruit off the tree. Would the Holy Spirit come in and give us strength and give us boldness and say, okay, let's dig. Maybe you don't even know where to begin. Find a Christian brother or sister in this room and begin to talk to them about your sin, about your struggle, and say, help me get to the root. Help me dig here. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Can I trust you enough to dig with me? And then watch. As you lean on the strength and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, watch as freedom begins to take reality in your life. And not just some theory, but where you experience freedom. This is a great hope of the gospel that it brings freedom. To those who are outside of Christ today, are you tired? Are you tired yet of all the disappointments that this life has thrown at you? There's hope. Are you sick and tired of the guilt and shame that you're having to simply cope? That you're just having to cope with? That you're having to medicate? That you're having to mask? Wouldn't you love just to be forgiven of all that and be given a fresh start? A hope of the gospel is that you're given that fresh start through Christ. Would you look at Christ? You've considered so many other things. Would you consider Jesus? Would you hear his promises? Would you study him? Start in the book of John and just read and see his activity and see how he acts and hear his words. And ask for faith. Say, God, give me the faith to believe this. I'm such a skeptic. Give me faith here. I don't believe this. And you're just honest and you ask him for faith. Would you please consider the promises of Christ? Because there is such radical hope in Jesus. You're tired of sin? Believe Jesus. Believe Jesus more than the false promises and lies of the enemy. I want to pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your time this morning with us. God, would you continue now to linger with us and, and allow these truths and these promises and these questions to begin to probe our minds and hearts. Lord, begin to reveal sin and deeper sin. And, and Lord, would we, would we be okay with the struggle of digging? Lord, would you help us invite the others into this? Would you bring us to the awareness of our sin, of our heart idol? Would you bring us into the awareness that we have to repent and draw us, give us that gift of repentance? And Lord, would you work in us in such a way that we believe you? Would you, would you give us faith? And would you give us belief in the areas that we lack faith and lack belief? Would you help us there? Lord, for the ones who are agnostic, who are, who are just stiff-arming you, who are, Lord, who are rejecting you, who just are, are just, they're so just on a search for whatever, would you satisfy them? 
Would they see you for who you really are and not for what the media makes you out to be? Would they see you as that gentle Savior who's standing over the girl who was caught in adultery and the Pharisees and the religious rulers are ready to kill her at once? And you're there and you say, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Would we see that gentle Jesus, that loving Jesus that came to be our representative and our substitute on our behalf? to bring us to you, Father, to bring us to peace with you, would that be what the audience who is lost and without you this morning, would that be the image that they have of you? God, see that, that you, Lord, you condemn sin. And that's why you're here. You came to dwell among us, to become sin. Would we see that the life you lived was for us? so that now there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would this be what the unbelievers in this room feel? Would they see this? Would this hope set them radically free? Lord, would you, would you bring people to faith this morning? Would you save people from their hopelessness and from an eternity so far away from you? God, show them who you really are. Because I believe with all my heart that if they see who they really are in light of your holiness, and they see who you are in your splendor, and Jesus, who you really were as you came, who you are now as reigning and ruling above the world, over all things, Lord, I know they would not say no to that. So would you just trigger that awareness in their hearts? Now, Lord, encourage them that way. Save them. Lord, we love you. Continue to work in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.